you provide the training needed, but don't as, but don't put a person in an endless training cycle because the key to the movement of the gospel in the world is activation. And I think that's the western the western church from the reformation on has the struggle has been the goal has been to learn or the goal has been competency and I think we have forgot at least I would argue that the goal is activation. Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us here for our Stream Roots Podcast. With me is my friend and producer of Stream Roots, the John Blosser. John, how's it going? It's going, man. How are you? I'm excited. We are doing our podcast on site yeah. at a Barnabas conference here yeah. for pastors all over the world. And today we have a special guest, the Steve mm-hmm. Andrews. The wow. Steve Andrews, co-founder of Kensington Church, here now with us mm. uh, to talk about a really important subject. But before we jump into that, Steve, can you give us a little bio about yourself and your life and family and ministry? Yeah. Well, first thing I want you to know is I, I couldn't turn you down when you guys offered me $10,000 for this right? for this moment, which I really appreciate. <laughs> Heavenly cash. Looking forward to using that for hunting in Africa. So... <laughs> Uh, So, um, yeah, I was with a wonderful team of about 40 adults that started Kensington. Uh, Dave Wilson, Mark Nelson were my key partners in that, and that was 1990. And that was inspired. You guys know Wally Hostetter. I was associate pastor at Faith Church with Wally Hostetter, and man, he launched me out with complete open hands and uh, in a way that, as I would tell other church planters, it never heard, you know, where a guy just. I remember when it was time to start recruiting for the church. I said, "Who who can I recruit?" And he goes, "Recruit everyone." And that was just so unheard of. Yeah, that spirit of open handedness and not not afraid to lose anything. Yeah, so that was really special. So that was, in uh, we started in uh, Bloomfield Hills, and eventually built in Troy, and then multiple campuses around northern, mostly northern Detroit, and. And then now we have a campus in Traverse City as well. We have a few uh, ethnic campuses internally in, you know, from different language groups. Okay. But, um, yeah, I led, I started it with those those guys and uh, stepped down in 2020 uh, as a leader. I'm still around as eye candy. And uh, <laughs> just, man, when you got the gift... Or we got the gift, you got to use it. So this is why we're doing video. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the um, so I'm still speaking a lot and encouraging leaders. Still doing a lot with the church, especially especially with global missions, which yeah, is a big part of my passion, which we might talk about today a little bit. Yes, yeah, that's a good segue into our discussion. And I want to read for us from the Book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus's last words, uh, famously called the Great Commission. And mm-hmm. here's what God's word says. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, 
Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Mm. Uh, what a great commission, obviously, that Jesus has given yeah. to us and to the Beautiful. church. And and today we're going to talk about the idea of local church planting, indigenous church planting globally, yeah. and how to empower indigenous church planters and some of the passion of yours and some of that you have so much experience of doing at Kensington and throughout not only our area, the Detroit metro area and our state, but globally all over the world. Yeah, it's been our joy. It's been church planting, and that goes back to um, I attended a How to Plant a Church conference with Peter Wagner and Bob Logan and Carl George and John Maxwell wow. back in 1988. And I um, went back to our little apartment. We had uh, just had our first child, and I walked in the door. Our, it was roach-infested, by the way, in Vernon Hills, Michigan. <laughs> and I was at Trinity Divinity at the time, and I walked in, and I told Paul, I said, I just discovered what I was born to do. It was that dramatic wow. that I was that my life was about helping churches start, and um, so that's what I've been doing since what that's thirty six years ago. Been pretty fun. Wow, praise God! And then Wally Hostetter modeled full open handedness with me, so that's what we've tried to do. We've tried to just it's a great business model. Send somebody out, invite everybody to go with them. It's like having kids; all your resources go out, nothing ever comes back. <laughs> It's a tremendous business model. <laughs> so, um, but we've at Kensington, we've had a chance to support, be directly involved in about ninety national church plants, oh, okay. and um, worked with a lot of different great organizations across the board. And then, <clears throat> back in uh, around two thousand and five, we really started with uh, global church planting partners and started seeing some amazing things. So we've been. Um, we've been with 12, 12 different nations with indigenous leaders who were led to Christ often by missionaries or by the, by the generations after missionaries and, and those people creating saturation church planting movements where you'd see the exponential growth of churches. Yeah. And, um, so what I'd like to do is tell you how that came about oh, in my life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, please. So I grew up in a super strong Christian home. My dad was a doctor. And uh, lived in Memphis. Member, Dad was a member of the Memphis Country Club. We were living a great life. And uh, I was the youngest of five, uh, just finishing sixth grade. And my mom, they were super devoted to Christ. And my mom said to my dad, Chubby, my dad's nickname was Chubby his whole life. He said, Chubby, I just feel like God has something more for us. And other than just living a great life, Dad was teaching a big Sunday school class. And the very next week, John Gratian, who was the Director of African Mission came to our church for a Wednesday night prayer meeting, which, which the our church's Wednesday night prayer meetings were the worst events in the history of the world. No, nothing, nothing <laughs> has ever been more painful than praying for Aunt Myrtle's ingrown toenail. So, uh, <laughs> and man, occasionally they would drag us out to <laughs> make us go. All right, anyway, Myrtle. mom and dad went that night without us. We all the kids stayed home and. Um, John Gratian said they needed a doctor at the mission station in Kajabi, at Afri- African mission station where Rift Valley Academy was in Kenya. They needed a doctor for the year for the doctor had gone on furlough. And my mom and dad drove home, and Holy Spirit told my mom, don't say a word. Mm. Don't say a word. 
And it was about a 25-minute drive back to our house. And right as they were pulling the driveway, Dad looked at her and said, I think we need to pray about that. <clears throat> and three months later, we were on a plane to Africa for the year. Wow. My three older siblings were already kind of grown. But my my mom and dad went to Africa. My second brother was first-team high school All-American in football and baseball. And they missed his senior year to take me and my sister to Africa and run that mission. I missed my brother's senior year. I always thought about the sacrifice of that. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it was a great experience. So I got to meet hundreds of missionaries from all over Africa. Their kids were going to Rift Valley. And I loved what they had done. And I had one beef. And that one beef was that the missionaries were so reluctant to hand over leadership to the indigenous people they were discipling. Interesting. They were. So that in some cases, it, in the African mission, there were grandchildren of missionaries who were still running the mission, the ministries that their grandparents had started. And I thought, why aren't they trusting indigenous leaders? Well, you guys are a little bit younger than me, but that was an era where, where the, whereas white leader, white Western leadership, we really thought there was a weakness that we thought we had all the answers for the world. And the, and we just weren't releasing leaders and so, believe it or not, I was 12 years old. I actually had an experience with Christ, and I feel like the Lord said, "If you if you ever get involved in missions, I want you to be involved with indigenous leaders who know how to lead their people." Mm-hmm. And so, starting Kensington didn't do do much for about five or ten years because we were busy building a church and so forth. And then um, my nephew uh, David Curlin, who's uh, actually a full colonel in the army now. Chaplain, he was a saturation church planter with Dwight Smith out of Columbia International University in South Carolina. He was doing a church planters conference in uh, Bangalore, and he met this guy from uh, Rajamundry, India, a guy named Jaya Sankar. And uh, when he got back, he called me and said, Uncle Steve, I've just met a guy who's exactly, he has the same heart for church planting that you do. And uh, that, that year, I ended up going to India and meeting. Jaya, this little five-foot-tall Indian fire plug that loved Christ, and he had already planted probably 100 churches and under and given everything. You know, if you've never been to India, man, the the Christian leaders of India, they, they have their problems, but the devotion to Christ and the sacrifice it is mind-blowing. Mm. And so that's where it started. So I came back and uh, asked the church if we could— Really start supporting him in a mission. We ended up building a, a mission center for him. We were a part of seeing about 500 churches started out of his ministry, which in India is not really that huge. I mean, I mean, we've been involved with uh, uh, you know Kingdom Works. Um, in fact, Woodside and Kensington, a bunch of us uh, have done uh, church planning movements where you know you've seen thousands of churches started, but. This guy was just so, so devoted to Christ. Well, that started Kensington on a 25-year run of being involved with indigenous church leaders. So we were involved with Jaya, who, by the way, just died this year at 60. And he told me, he had told me 10 years ago that the Lord was going to take him young. So that's a big loss for them. Uh, But then working with one of my closest friends, Julius Murgor, among the Pocot in northwest Kenya, we've seen four or 500 churches started there. Uh, and then we involved with um, uh, 
uh, North American Mission Board that had, was involved with, we got involved with the church planning in Cuba, house church movement, which is just stunning. Uh, my friend Ricardo Agresti is Presbyterian, does church planning among middle and upper middle class uh, communities in Brazil. He he has an annual church planners conference at 3,000 pastors come to. It's amazing the what's going on there. And then we've been involved in with Big Life in Afghanistan. That's been a real tragic outcome since since American military pulled out. But we've been in Uganda, South Africa, Sudan, South Sudan, you know, Kenya, and just seen incredible movements of God in all these places. And actually, one of the things that I pray about is, wouldn't it be amazing at some point if we could see in the West a exponential church planning movement. We've never seen it. Maybe our, you know, people say our socioeconomics are too high that people are not willing to be or do what they're called to do. We are seeing good church planting, but nothing to what we see, you know, in the rest of the world. But what the greatest joy uh, for our, our own church is that as we send people to these places, they come back and they go, Okay, now I know what a real Christian looks like. Yeah, like I knew I was a believer in Jesus Christ, but now I know actually what that looks like. Yeah. It's so it's inspired people to live so differently when they come back. Mm. Yeah, so that's kind of that's a good start. Uh, well, uh, praise God! It's an awesome, awesome story history there. So, what, what do you think the problem is with missionaries and global church pl- pastors and planters that they can't hand over leadership to the indigenous people. Why? Because you can even say that globally, but I have an African-American friend in downtown Detroit, and he's always hesitant to uh, partner with their churches. You know, obviously we're, they're real, real close, and so we do stuff together, but because he's always like, they never want to hand over leadership. They, yeah, that's why we wouldn't do church planning. And for years and years in this country, you know, people would know these are, people would say, these are my people. You can't, you're going to take my people. Yeah. Well, the the first thing where you see where there's an exponential church planning movement in the world is they aren't your people; they're God's people, right? And so the vision is you're trying to move people out. You're not, so you have to move away from how are you going to survive to how is the mission of Christ going to thrive in the world? And people hang on to leadership because they're insecure, or maybe they think they have all the answers. That that's true. Or sometimes they don't trust the people that they're developing. And that was a great problem that w- that the Western missionary had. That was a problem that I think they're growing out of, by the way. I think that's much less of a problem. But they were, whatever country they were working in, um, you know, there's uh, there's so many great books uh, been written about this. But one of the, some of the really great church planters to China before the, you know, the Christians, you know, during the uprising in the 50s, where the mission, all the missionaries were driven out permanently from China. But they would create programs. Some, some of the missionaries would create these unbelievable programs just to get someone to the point where they could lead communion, you know, and it'd be like a five-year program instead of releasing people. And all of a sudden, I remember when I was a teenager, I was reading uh, the first book I ever released the first Bible book I ever really studied inductively was First Thessalonians. And my mind was blown the way Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, or if you're in Greece today, Thessaloniki. 
And he basically says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, you have everything you need to live a godly life. Mm. And I thought, wow, how long did that take for that to happen? And then you read Acts. Paul was in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days. Three days. That's it. Uh. 15 days. Sabbath to Sabbath to Sabbath. So 15 days, he went to the synagogue. You know, people preached. People people responded to Christ, you know, Gentiles and Jews alike. And he got driven out. And he says, okay, you got it. You got what you need in Christ. So in... And if you ever read the book of Thessalonians, he says, your faith has spread across the whole world. The, the news of your faith has spread across the whole world. Mm. And that all happened in 15 days? Are you kidding me? Mm. So part of that is you can go from one extreme to the other, but part of it is release people. And um, so in all of these indigenous church planting movements, most of them, uh, particularly the more emerging, the probably lower income some of these areas are guys that are people that are trained to do church planting often plant two or three churches while they're being trained, which is amazing. Uh-huh. Like I remember Reuben Maricall when I met Reuben, he's he's leading the Pocot Outreach Ministries now. He's 38 years old. By the time he was 26 years old, he planted 10 churches in Uganda. When he was 30, he started, uh, he went to South Sudan. He has started uh, indigenous church. He has indigenous church planting leaders in six different tribal groups in South Sudan. In the last six years, he's seen a hundred and fifty churches launched in six different language groups. And he's done that with the Timothy Initiative, yeah. where you, where you have your your Paul, your Timothy, your Titus, and it's he he went there alone, led people to Christ. Six years later, there's a hundred churches. Really amazing if you are training people for the purpose of mobilization, Mm. and then you keep resourcing them, keep giving them encouragement. It is amazing to see what's happening in the world, as opposed to us, you know, making somebody go to Bible college and seminary for three years, and and you're still not sure they're equipped to lead a Bible study. Uh It's a very different model. So I think the model is changing, but maybe a little too slowly still. Why why do you think that? Why do you think it's too slow or... What are the aspects of that? You know, because Paul does say, "Let a man prove himself." Yeah. Um, so, why is that your opinion? Yeah, I would say letting a man prove himself would be a great. That would be their model of training. Would you say you want to be a church planter? Okay. Okay. Go 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 start a church. Go plant a church, and I'll help you. you got questions? Come back and ask me. So, like Julius uh, Murgor, my friend among the Pocot, the first hundred churches were planted by pastors who were basically illiterate. Think about this. Couldn't read the Bible, so they would come every four to eight weeks and spend four or five days with him in Kapanguria, which is kind of the last last town in northwest Kenya that that had electricity. And he would train them for five. He would teach them Bible stories for five days. And of course, because they were literate in the context they were living in, their ability to retain what they hear is way better than than an average Westerner would be. So they would learn these Bible stories, and then they go and preach these out under acacia trees. Every 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 church was a thorn was a was a church under a thorn tree, sitting on on logs, and That's awesome. and all they were doing was repeating the Bible stories, 
and the principles that they'd been taught by Julius. That's how the first hundred churches started, and uh, which included twenty thousand Pocot baptized just in that first wave of fifteen or twenty years. Probably been a hundred thousand Pocot baptized now, but it was all releasing people. And again, you think about problems because people that were coming to Christ among the Pocot in polyg- polygamous family situations, which was, um, I was way judgmental as a kid of that, but when you get to Africa, you realize a man takes in, you know, the, the mortality rate was so high that this was one of their ways of, you know, if your wife's sister's husband dies and there are three kids, you take, you, you know, that was the whole thing of taking in. But part of this is they're preaching the gospel. People are coming to Christ and people come to leadership had to step away from their polygamy, right? To talk about a commitment, step away from... And Julius Murgor, who was leading the ministry, was the uh, third child of his father's second wife. You know, it's amazing. Reuben Mariacall, who leads the ministry now, he is the oldest son of his father's second wife. Both wives had 12 children. So Reuben has 23 siblings. Wow. And because he was the oldest, he was supposed to go get a high-paying job to help his other other siblings get through school. And he felt the call to Bible college. And his parents had just become followers of Christ. They were willing to sacrifice his livelihood and the impact on the family for him to follow the call of God. So you're seeing people radically, sacrificially follow Christ all over the world. Mm. Jaya Sankar in India, he, he inherited money from his parents. He invested every single penny. He didn't connect with anybody in America until he had spent his last dime. Mm. That he put all of his energy into, you know, what Christ had called him to do. So, you just we started running into these most like Christians you just wouldn't believe. You've seen it, you've experienced it too. But it's the it's this ability to say, no, I'm not going to hang on. I'm going to always be releasing people. And you know, Jaya in India was was sending out young couples as church planters into communities all over India in the last thirty years, where they get into a small community, and when it was known that they were believers in Christ, they couldn't couldn't buy groceries, they couldn't buy flour, or they they'd have to go to a larger city to buy their groceries because they would they were so shunned. Mm. So these are people paying a tremendous price Sacrifice, to bring the yeah. gospel of Jesus to the world. And so it just has been very rewarding to see that. So we've seen a couple thousand. We've been a part of indigenous leaders starting uh, at least 2,000 church, new churches. And that's been really fun to see. It's probably more than that, but I've kind of lost track. <laughs> but we God. don't see that in America, even though we are seeing good huh? We are seeing good church planning work along the way. But if I was talking to pastors and leaders, th- I don't have the answer. But what I would... I have a question, which is, what would you need to be able to do in order to release people faster, get get people to have the resources to really do that? And part of that is getting people to training. In fact, Bill Bill Malik's here. I, I was talking with him about he was one of the creators of the church planning boot camp, okay. which um, I actually did my church planners assessment through the PCA years ago. But that that training weekend – an assessment weekend was one of the most important four days of my whole life. It absolutely 
predicted all the problems that Paul and I were going to have in leading and in our marriage. I mean, everything they showed us came true down the road. And so you provide the training needed, but don't but don't put a person in an endless training cycle because the key to the movement of the gospel in the world is activation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the Western the Western church from the Reformation on has the struggle has been the goal has been to learn or the goal has been competency. And I think we have forgot, at least I would argue, that the goal is activation. I like that. I like that's really well put. Um American church is a learning church, right? Yeah, we got to put the put to practice what we learn, and uh, activation, and and be part of that mission of what God has called us to do. So let me ask you one more question here: um, How do we bring this to our local churches now, where we're at? Great question. I would say the mission model um, that um, one brother said to another at the beginning of the gospel. Come and see. Come and see. <laughs> that is always the place to say, come and see somewhere that is doing something that either you've dreamed about and haven't seen or you've never even dreamed it was possible. So I would say, you know, 20, 25 years ago, come and see what Julius is doing. Did you ever imagine that illiterate men living in a, in a Stone Age environment wearing loincloths could come and learn Bible stories? For a week, go back and tell the message of Jesus and have a community of people believe where all the women are topless, all the children are playing in the dirt, 60% infant mortality rate, and yet seeing the because of dirty water and lack of resources, and then seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ explode in that area with power. And now Pocot pastors are going all over the world. Mm. And when I, I re- remember my first time teaching a hundred of these guys at a retreat and realized that half these guys, the extent of their life savings wasn't, was a, was a, a coat, was a, a suit that they could put on for special events. They had two changes of, two changes of clothes and they would walk 20 miles in the desert to bring the gospel, drink dirty feces infested water risking their lives, and then walk back to their home and then seeing the gospel explode. So part of that is, I would say, see people that are uh, activating. The, the, the other thing that I would say is open-handedness. Every one of us who's experienced open-handedness from another person has been transformed by that experience. So of all people in the world, disciples of Jesus— We've been given everything. We have all the riches of Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. Why would we hang on to stuff? Uh, Not just let it go. Let it let it be released. Because what we're seeing in the world is people that are holding on to nothing. Mm. They're really giving it all. And that's what the church everywhere in the world, you know, needs to see. So I would say come and see. And then I would say let it go. I, I'll give you one more. And the other one I say. Watch what Paul and Peter did. Watch what the disciples did. They came and they brought it. They launched people out. In fact, the disciples were keeping believers in Jerusalem too long. Too long, and the persecution had to happen. And so God, out of his grace, sent a violent persecution because he wanted his people to move out. Mm. 
Oh, I love it. So I love good. it. This is great. Uh, wish we could do a couple of part episodes here. We want to respect your time. And yeah, that's great. We're on a conference here. And thanks for the money. Really appreciate that. <laughs> yes, I'll pay you in heaven. <laughs> I have the inheritance of Christ. <laughs> you got it, buddy. You're... I am a joint heir with Christ. You are. <laughs> <laughs> thanks well, for listening. Yeah, let me uh, sign off here. and want to thank again Pastor Steve Andrews for your time and wisdom and insight and uh, just that encouragement to let it go. Let it go. Send people out. Let go. Trust God. Don't hold on to things. Uh, let it go and sur- let's make see the kingdom advance. So, yeah, uh, uh, Streamers is a, is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at BarnabasMinistriesMI.org. That's BarnabasMinistriesMI.org. We release an episode every Monday morning. Streamers drawing deep from the living water of God's word.